I'm so honored to have Ava Wild back on the show. Uh, today, we are actually getting to the topic we meant to talk about in the first show we recorded. Uh, this time, we're talking about uh, trauma resolution through sexual liberation. Uh, but we don't stop there. Right? We talk a lot about what got us to the trauma points, what got us to the point of needing sexual liberation, um, a lot of the shadow understandings of the way we were taught sexuality, um, whether it was demonized by the church or we found our own ways with the internet or you know whatever it, whatever the modality was. Uh, it all came from somewhere, and a lot of it wasn't the most healthy. So um, understanding where we can start to unpack this and live in a beautifully abundant, responsibly sexual, consensual world and have those pleasure ideas met in, again, a consensual way and not shying away from what gives us joy and love. I'm really excited about this conversation. Hope you get something out of it. We'll see you on the other side. All right, welcome back to the show. Uh, today, I am joined by a returning guest and a beautiful human being, Miss Abel Wild. Uh, so Abel was on a couple, uh, about a few months ago now when this will come out. And, uh, but today we're actually going to get to the topic we meant to talk about in the first place, <laughs> which is great, you know? Um, uh, so Awa is, uh, the, owns wild nature retreats out in uh, the Snohomish area. There's a bunch of different things. I mean, Awa is just a, a, a Renaissance woman of just healing arts, does a bunch of stuff. So if you haven't checked her out, check out the previous episode, learn a bit more about Awa and what she does. And I will leave, uh, information in the show notes, how to get a hold of her. So, uh, but today, uh, the topic we never really got to last time, which was still a, an amazing conversation and very beautifully done. Um, but what we want to talk about today is is kind of more or less trauma resolution through sexual liberation. And those can sound like one thing is triggering the next, right? Because <laughs> uh, sometimes our trauma is revolved around sexuality in some kind of way, right? And so the idea that sexual liberation can help resolve trauma might be counterintuitive to a lot of people and their approaches to therapies and their journey in life. Um, so, uh, first off, thanks for being here again. I love mm -hmm. our conversations. Um, but, um, in, in all of what you do, and I'm sure we'll tap dance around all the things that you do through life. Um, how did this kind of come up and how, how is this alive with you right now? Like what, what kind of threads brought you to this, uh, this topic line? Mm. You know, I've been thinking about that a little bit more recently, again, listening to other podcasts and other people kind of in the industry. Um, I feel like the way that I can relate to it is the way that I would relate to life force energy in general. And when I was young, there was a lot of neglect. Mm. And so I was often left alone. And that time was often spent in nature. Mm. And so I created this really deep bond with what I would consider God, with source energy, and with Mother Nature. So I could hear the grass. I could mm. feel the trees. I could sense presence. And that, to me, felt intimate. There was this connection within me. And within that connection was arousal and excitement mm. and passion and really love. And so then fast forward, you know, a, a few years, <laughs> um, it's been this constant thread of mine forever, really. And it does feel ancient. It feels like past lives. It feels mm. like um, 
something I've been doing for a long time. And, and in this chapter, uh, in this body, it's really been about overcoming the guilt and the shame of it mm. and getting away from the cultural messaging around what it means to be naked, what it means to be touched, what it means right. to touch. Um, and to truly like almost like settle into this gnosis that I've carried and it's, you know, this is where the trauma healing comes in. And I think about, you know, as a little kid, we're born into this brilliant system we call a body mm -hmm. that is perfect. And if we were raised in an environment where that was continually talked about and, and that was fed within our minds, then that's what our minds would curate and foster. But instead, we still have our, our, our primal instincts and survivability. And so when our um, caretakers or caregivers are stressed or overwhelmed or essentially projecting their own beliefs, <laughs> uh, those make imprints on our minds and we adopt those as a way to survive the environment in which we grow. Yeah. So what happens I think for some people is they take it on and they run with it and it resonates for them. For some of us, we rebel yeah. and we can rebel radically and become the outcasts and the criminals and the, you know, those who are really, really struggling to find their way in a system. There's ones that succumb and, and they have their own internal battles. I've never met anybody who doesn't feel at conflict about something, right. particularly about what they may have influenced, been influenced by what they're growing up. But for some of us, we found a way to, hmm, how do I want to put this? Fit in enough to not completely lose our place in society while doing our internal work that allows us the relationships to stretch the edges and expand the minds of not only ourselves, but of the world. Mm. Yeah. That's I'm glad beautiful. I took a moment to that pause. Was great. And really I love that. <laughs> Thank yes. you. I'm like, yay. Yes. Hell yeah. That's a quotable. Well, I have a quick question for you. Uh, just with the, the experience you shared about your, your young self with nature and, and how that, that feeling was there of like, I've done this before. I do this all the time. This is me. This is the part of the life. Do you, you know, without knowing the age that you were at, um, do you think that was like the first type of remembrance you had about like, you know, uh, I've done this before. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a human again. Mm -hmm. Here I am in this place. Oh, this is interesting. Right. You know, and, and, and getting in touch, getting that intimacy with nature, um, and, and having that like, Oh my God, that's right. I've touched these leaves before. Mm -hmm. do, do you think that was one of the first, like, knowledgeable remembrances that you had that maybe that sparked that reincarnation kind of idea? Maybe not as young as when I was like playing in the fields behind our house um, or trotting off into the woods of mystery, yeah. <laughs> um, which I think about now and I'm like that ignorance is bliss in those moments, right? Like I had no idea what could have been out there, but yeah. um, I remember probably being 11-ish, okay. give or take a year or two. And I had, um, my stepdad at that time in my life was amazing, still is amazing. Um, he's influenced me a big, in big ways with music and movement and spirituality and rebelling in a, in a way that works. Mm -hmm. Uh, he was a counselor at a juvenile prison, oh, okay. a boys prison. 
Um, he was a guy who hitchhiked across the country, did a lot of drugs, was in recovery, like just really such a, an earth angel for me. And I remember at that time in my life, one of the things that I made up in my head that still speaks to me in some ways is that I was trying to understand the afterlife, which is fascinating to think like at that age that I was contemplating these things. But I remember saying to myself, if people do mostly good in their life, they like go to heaven, right? I was still referring to heaven and how my dad's side of the family was Catholic. So pretty much everyone's going to hell at that point. Right, exactly. Especially Catholicism. (laughs) Yeah. So if you mostly did good, it was like, I almost had like this mathematical graph in my head. So if 50, 51% of your life was dedicated to goodness, you Uh, would go to heaven. But if 49% or basically 51% of your life was being naughty and bad, then you would go to hell. uh And then for those of the people in the world that were somewhere in the middle, they would be reborn. Oh, interesting. Okay. And so that was my understanding of reincarnation or the concept of past lives and rebirth. Um, I, I no longer believe in hell. I actually think that heaven and hell exist in the moment of now. Right. And I believe that there is an afterlife. I also do believe that there is a graduation that can happen. Hmm. I don't know that we as humans in these lifetimes are going to get there. Right. I don't know. I suppose once I cross over, I may know differently. Right, yeah. But we just had Jeffrey Marks at our retreat space yesterday. Okay. He's a medium and yeah, yeah. speaks to our loved ones that are we say on the other side, but they're right here, like right, in our laps, this. on our sides all at all times. My grandma's always right here. Hey, uh, grandma. Yeah. Um, I wear her necklace quite often, and um, we talk a lot, so she's grateful. Um, and and so what that relates to me is like, yeah, just this understanding and this false sense when I was without enough influence, right? And And I'm speaking probably from like age two, three to... 10, 11 was when I was in a, in a living situation where my dad worked nights. He was also an alcoholic. And so it was pretty much my brother and I, Yep. and, uh, latchkey kids. Yeah. Yeah. I wish there was a latchkey situation. We actually had to climb through the bathroom window. We didn't get a house key. Okay. Wow. So yeah, (laughs) precarious, funny, not funny. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely, I can laugh about it today because I've done a lot of work around that environment, but, um, yeah. So just to go back to simple answer of your question, I didn't have it during, I think those real younger years, the concept of past life. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I did have that felt sense of connection. Right. Uh, when I speak of mother today, it's the mother earth and how she held me and how spirit cared for me and made sure that when I was in the mystery woods, that the bears and the cougars and the coyotes that were there did 100%. not come and get me. Yeah. Um, maybe I was wild enough that, you know, women who run with the wolves. Yep. Was... They just accepted you. They're like, ah, there's that little human over there. Look at her go. Yep. For <laughs> sure. I definitely can relate to um, some of the scenes in Jungle Book. Yeah, just right? A little Mowgli primal style. Living, yeah, Primal Living. Which is funny because my youngest son, he looks like Mowgli. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, as I got older, especially through the different chapters of abusing alcohol, drugs, and sex, I definitely lost a lot of it, but it's never been gone. Mm-hmm. 
And when I think of the thread that's always been with me, even though I'm only now beginning to transition within my direct work and my career, the thread that's always been present for me that I've really been sitting with is my deep love of people Mm. and my ease of compassion and forgiveness. Um, I couldn't, I don't think that there's anybody that you could put in front of me that I couldn't look at lovingly and embrace with my body wholeheartedly. Yeah. Um, I still get my nerves. I still have my, my contractions and my like fears that come in. Even when I'm working, I was actually just talking to a dear friend who has been in the industry now doing a lot of the work that I'm leaning into for the last three years. And her and I had a really beautiful conversation where she was able to kind of help guide me when I do feel contraction and it's because I've been you know in the world of psychoanalyzing for so long that I can see people's stuff right even when they're not aware of it <laughs> and and my primal self who also has my story attached to it of abuse and and bodily bodily afflictions mm-hmm. it I have to listen to my nervous system even though I intellectually may know otherwise right and part of the healing that's happening in this that's been really, really beautiful that I that it feels like this may be the, the thing that's pulling me forward into this area of work. If everybody could see my hands, I'm like pulling a rope right now. <laughs> is being able to speak openly with the person that I'm working with about the felt sense that I had and reflecting back to them what is true yeah. and not what that story was telling me. And so, for instance, I had a, a male client that I was doing a practice session with, I don't know, a few months ago now. And during the session, I began to feel, I'll just use vague terms, but basically like worry or concern that he was wanting more from me than what we had agreed upon. Okay. And I think this is a really common experience for, I'm just, again, using vague terms, women in today's society. Um, I was speaking to a woman the other day about developing breasts and when you know she was a young teen her boobs got really big and her mm. words were unwanted attention from oh men gosh i could only i couldn't imagine right yeah. yep and here's the thing i don't have any judgment about the men who were looking and her and her body and her reaction because we're primal and for some people you like now as i've gotten older i can't tell if the guy i'm looking at is 17, 28, or 40. Like I've just reached that point. And so sometimes I have to check myself and be like, okay, you might be staring a little bit aggressively right right now. (laughs) And I'm just honoring the beauty of the human body. Right. And so there is that, again, coming back to that seed of like guilt and shame. Yeah. So in that scenario, the young woman who's feeling threatened, Mm -hmm. right? That's going to speak to victim. But oftentimes when we do our work, we dig deep enough, there's guilt for attracting it in the first place. So then say the onlooker, say he's, I don't know, we'll just throw out a number, 32. Mm-hmm. And he's he sees her breasts. He's like, oh my gosh, beautiful. His body reacts. Then he looks up and catches her eyes. He's a me- I'm just hypothetically right. speaking. He's going to feel guilt and shame. And then it's going to, both of them are going to carry that forward. Yeah. So... Part of my work has been being able to coach people through the guy who looked at the young woman 
like not intentionally with harm. Right. Yeah. But it's a natural thing to look at people and bodies. And then of course there's conditioning that comes in. Mm-hmm. So I coach people through coping with and resolving the guilt that he felt for being a human who found a woman attractive. Right. And then I coach women through the fear and the trauma that they've experienced from being looked at to come into a place of peace and power. And, and through that, again, there's forgiveness, mm-hmm. not of the other person for crossing a boundary, <clears throat> yeah. but of themselves for feeling like they're either being a victim in the situation or feeling guilty for being in the situation. Yeah. That's, I, that's such big work. And I mean, that's, I can inadvertently, that's kind of where I found myself in the past, like just getting past, not past by any means, but working my way through that within the past couple of years. Mm. Um, you know, I, I grew up in the nineties. I grew up on porn, right? Internet mm. porn, right? It was there all the time. You fucking wait three days for a LimeWire digital boob <laughs> to fucking download. And then it wasn't even a boob. It was some dude with a dick that somebody accidentally like <laughs> fucked with you and labeled the wrong. It's like hot that. boobs, you know, it's like, yeah, I want to see that. I'm 13, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like this big black dick and you're like, ah, fuck man. What the hell is this? And the bit, the, the time that you went the investment to get to that point. <laughs> And you got to make sure that if you're listening to that, that nobody's going to come in and be like, what are you doing? Or pick up the phone and disrupt your internet signal, right? These are all things that that, uh, the millennials might not have to worry about or know about. (laughs) But but for me, right, you know, and and I'm not excusing this by any means. I'm not saying like, this is my excuse for the, you know, justifying what I'm doing. But this is just, you know, for me, context of the way I grew up and me putting some stuff to it. But growing up with like, you know, you know, boobs and, and vaginas and all whatever you wanted whenever you needed it, right? You can put on a website and all this shit. Um, when I finally started to get into an awareness self, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm objectifying women mm-hmm. very much, you know, and I don't, I don't want to do that. So I've stopped watching porn for years now. Uh, I've been doing a lot of self work on on respecting women, right? Mm-hmm. And, and not to say that I walked around like ogling women all the time, but like you said, there's that ping of guilt for just like, oh my god, like I just caught myself looking at this woman's ass as she walks by, stop it. Right. Mm. But at the same time, like, and this is, this is my work now. Right. And I'm, I'm much deeper into this work and a better, better understanding, but it still gets you because the human body is beautiful. Right. Right. Male, female genders, whatever you want to represent as, right. The male, the, the, the human body is beautiful. Right. And so, and, and it's, it's alluring at times, right. From what people are, how they present themselves, right? And by no means am I saying you deserve because you dressed provocatively, whatever. No, not saying that at all. You could be fully clothed and I could still look and be like, oh, that's a very attractive human, right? Mm -hmm. And, but there's that ping of the guilt of like, oh, you're objectifying again. It's like, but, but am I? And so there's this constant battle in my head that I have of like, but I'm, I'm appreciating the human, right? There's a guy that could walk by. I'm a straight man, love women, but find all humans attractive in their own right, right? There's right. an attractiveness to it. And and so then there's the other side of that is like, well, I'm a homosexual now. Why do I have gay thoughts and tendencies? I thought right. that guy's ass looked good in those jeans. Like, get <laughs> out of your head, Adam. <laughs> Fucking hell. Right. You know, and it's, it's just so convoluted and confusing because, I mean, to the point you made earlier, from a, from a procreation standpoint, biologically, that's what we look for. We look for plump breasts that can feed the child if we're heterosexual and wanting to have kids right yeah. women look for a strong built man and not saying all but this is like the biological shit that we're dealing oh, with oh there's right? some really heavy stats out there yeah that it's really fascinating as as subtle as like 
plump lips or, you know, um, there was one thing that I just watched. We started watching, um, it's for soul entertainment purposes, but the show Naked Attraction. Oh, okay. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it. I haven't watched it yet though. Yeah. So I'm hoping they'll come out with an edition that's like 40 and up because it's really like 19 to 25 um, which is entertaining, and I actually watched an episode with my daughter last night, mm, um, okay. which I'm very excited about. And to your point, I was just going to say, how different would we look if we were fed our curiosities as children to evolve an understanding of what bodies look like? Mm. And I could scroll out in a million different directions. I'll just say real quickly, as a little girl, <clears throat> I remember being so fascinated at the YMCA locker room. And I just wanted to stare at everybody, right. but I was like, I was taught you don't stare, right? Even if people are not naked, I wasn't allowed to stare at people, which is, I think back now and I'm like, God, I just wanted to stare at people. Yeah, right. So, you know, watching this show with my daughter, what's really fascinating is, you know, these screens lift up. So the first viewing that you get, and this is the, the whole premise of the show is that you pick your person solely based off of physical attraction. Oh, so, so the, just bodily attraction, no face. Well, it moves. It goes through phases. Okay, gotcha, yeah. Gotcha. So the first phase, there's six panelists and there's one picker, right? Okay. And the, the screens move up to the waist. So you get to see full frontal genitalia. Nothing's blurred out. Okay. Then sometimes the host will have them turn around so you can see their bums. Okay. So what's interesting is that this is a UK-based show. They speak very frankly, and we don't, right? As Americans, we don't say... Oh yes, I prefer a, a penis with a foreskin, or no, I prefer one oh, with okay. or without pubic hair. Or yes, I like it when the labia is tucked up or hanging out, right? Like, mm-hmm. but on this show, they're speaking immediately in front of these people about their bodies, and wow. the overall take, which I get editing, is also magical and yeah. maybe giving us a perception that's not fully a hundred percent transparent. Right. But almost all of the people come away saying, "I really enjoyed myself just being naked and being seen for." my body and I've, everybody receives some form of compliments, but there's also feedback for people, right? Mm -hmm. Things I've taken away from the UK is most, I'm going to say girls, but women, um, shave their vulvas and I'm not a huge fan. Like for me personally, I've reached an age that I just don't enjoy it. Right. Um, and most of the male penises or just penises in general, they do have gay and trans people on there too, which I loved. Okay. Um, a lot of them are not circumcised. Okay. There is a ton of nipple piercings over there. Like ah, really? a huge amount of girls okay. and implants, which I'm not going to lie is a little bit disappointing for me and my body and how I want everybody to just love what is. Yeah. Um, so then the next layer, they go up to the, basically the neck and each round somebody's being picked off for basically something that doesn't resonate. Yeah. What's fascinating is some people will say this person looks like they're standing where they're very shy or they're overly confident or look at their nails. They obviously take care of themselves or I like that tattoo or you can tell that they work out, which is important to me in my lifestyle. So there's story that's being told right, yeah. on the energy and the presentation. Just then, from them standing there. Just from standing there. But why I got to the show was that in between scenes, they will give statistics they will talk about the the male body and the triangular figure mm. and how it actually relates to how long or how much testosterone they received in the womb at when when they were still in the mother's in body. Yeah. There was one where they talked about um hold your hand up. 
Yeah. So if your ring finger extends above your pointer finger, it means that you received higher levels of testosterone while you were in, in utero. Well, be damned. And then likewise for women, like, um, they talked about men's preference on breast. It was like the nipple sits 54, 54%, I could be off, but 54% higher than the lower part of the breast. So basically like perky boobs. Gotcha. Right. Yep. Okay. I All giggled because right. my nipples kind of point toward the ground. 54%. I love that there's a number. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but they have, there was only one statistic that I didn't feel like I knew and it just happened and I wish I could recall what it was, but, um, being able to understand the way that we operate from our primal senses right. and going back to that idea of like, when we look, we've been conditioned to feel like we're objectifying when, if you can pause with yourself and recognize like, actually, am I just appreciating something that I think is attractive right. and why do I have to feel bad for that? And then comes all of the agreements around your relationships and what is and isn't acceptable and what you've agreed to, which most people don't talk about. Right. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of roads that can be traveled in that way. Yeah. There's a, there's a book I'm reading right now called the end of averages. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what you're talking about right now is like the, you know, when we speak of this stuff, we don't even realize about we're using like averages, right? The average human body, right. you know, the triangle you talked about and, and all this stuff. And it's really interesting. Cause like, you know, I guess we take for granted that, oh, that, you know, I have an average body size of an average height. A lot of the, you know, the, 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 the KPIs for, for child development is based off averages, right? Mm -hmm. You're, you've reached this stage because the average kid reaches a stage at this time. And that means they're doing this and all this shit. Right. Right. And in this book, the way they talk about it, Ted Rose, the way he talks about it is like, we've created something that nobody can reach. Like nobody is an average, right? No. If you take an average of a thousand bodies and you average them together to one body of an average, and then you take all the bodies that made up that average and compare it to that average, nobody is going to hit that average. Right. Because it's, it's, it's obscure. Right. Uh, and, uh, and so we constantly try to keep pushing ourselves either within the average or to delineate ourselves above or below average. Mm -hmm. Why let's, get away from averagearianism and Taylorism is what they call it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and go back to the individual. Like right. we've been doing average Arianism since 1870s when it was really implemented in the United States, schools, workforces, all that stuff, right? You're based off the average and then we can figure out you out from there. Nobody hits that. So let's go back to looking at the human being, right? Mm -hmm. The individual of, of, of the person, right? And I think when we can get to that, we can stop comparing ourselves to shit that doesn't even, it's not even comparable, yeah. right? My body is not going to be looking like the average male human body. If I took the true averages, I'm Adam presenting in an Adam form, right? Right. You're a presenting in an AWA form, right? I think when we can do that, I can ex I can start to accept the little bit of bulges that I might have or yeah. the blemishes that I might have or the balding that I might have, you know, these things that naturally happen with the progression of life or are outside of our control because our DNA was just born that way. Right. But we constantly try to manipulate and augment and do all these things, you know, it's like just finding the way to accept. And if you want to take the choice and you're very comfortable with the choice of augmenting your body, again, that's cool. Yeah, do you, right? Yeah. Changing genders, adding breast sizes, taking away fat here, putting it there, whatever, right? If it makes sense to you, fucking do you. Yeah. But just doing it because society says you should do it, you know, like my lips are not full enough. Well, compared to you. Right. Compared to who, right? <laughs> yeah. 
you know, Jesus Christ. I don't want, I don't want the woman that I'm kissing to suck my face in. Right. Yeah. So have, you know, lips that, that are comfortable for you that make you feel confident enough to, to, to embrace the person that's across from you. Yeah. Right. Well, and it brings me to consider the why. If I do this, why am I doing this? Yeah. What do I think it's giving me? And that, you know, one of my teachers would say, the moment you're wanting, you're already believing in your lack. So if I'm wanting oh, bigger breasts, it's because I believe that I'm lacking my breasts. Mm-hmm. If I'm wanting more hair, it's because I believe I'm lacking. And and there's such beauty in understanding how our conditioning has taught all of that. And I think, you know, I have quite a few people in my life in the last five years that have done explant surgery. Yes. And... And I still have friends that still have implants and, you know, I've taken a neutral stance and to just not have the conversation with people unless they come to me with it. Right. But I also know that these types of surgeries can lead to a tremendous amount of lessons one way or another. Yep. And I also have people that have done surgery that feel like they're finally in the body they always were supposed to have. And so it is not my place to judge. Yeah. Can I have compassion and just love people for who they are and, and what it is that they want and celebrate it with them when it brings them joy. And if the joy eventually learns to other pain, I don't need to judge and be like, I told you so. Exactly. It's it's like, okay, this is what we're working through today. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, it's almost like you had to go through that experience to realize the lesson that you just learned. Right? 100%. And as hard as that is, sometimes... Like, you know, we're, we're in a society, at least in the West, where we don't listen a lot to ourselves, to our mm-hmm. bodies. We listen to shitty star- stories we have, but not the, the, the signs in our bodies. Right. And when we don't listen to those, they get stronger, they get more aggressive, right? And so if we can listen, learn how to listen to our bodies. And what you mentioned earlier about the, the amount of implants that have been, you know, popularized over the past what, five, six decades, you know, and it was interesting because, you know, we, we went through the breast implant kind of boom, and then there's now the Brazilian butt lift, and now guys are getting calf, calf implants, implants, you know, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And it, it's interesting because it seemed like, for the most part, the human body was accepting these things, right? Mm-hmm. There were some things we had to, you know, saline solution, okay, we had to change some stuff here and there. And But it seemed like for the populace, for the most part, the body was accepting. Okay, cool. Let's put that there. Let's do that there. But now... I've actually been uh, been hearing a rise in what they call BII. It's breast implant infections. Yeah. But I think they're taking the B out of it and just implant infections. Mm. And the body is starting to reject a lot of these implants because the body is like, hey, why are we putting things into ourselves when we're perfect, right? We're beautiful the way we are. it's not just the breasts and the butts and the calves. It's dental work. Oh, interesting. It's IUDs. Uh, you see it with piercings. Yeah. Like... It, yeah, the I had an IUD experience with my fiance, and you know we did a lot of she did a lot of research. You know, mm-hmm. I was very supportive of her. Was, you know, it's her body, right? <clears throat> and um, and you know she made the choice like I'm going to try this out. I'm going to put an IUD in, and it was such a horrible experience for her. And I don't think she stopped bleeding for like a month. Right? Do you know which one she did? It's a copper one. You yeah. know, it was a number of years ago, like three or four years ago. Yeah. And, uh, and within a month she had it taken out. She's like, this is terrible. You know, yeah. felt like shit. You know, obviously she's just bleeding constantly, you know, it's a lack really of iron. common side effect from that one. Yep. And so now it's like, 
you know, it, it's on me, right? She, mm-hmm. she doesn't want to take the breast or the, uh, the pill, which I don't blame you. It fucks up your hormones. Like I can throw a condom on or get a vasectomy or whatever I need to do. Right. Yeah. That's more safer for me to explore than to have my beautiful human in my life, you know, go through this immense amount of pain and suffering yeah. just so we could have sex. Right. Right. It doesn't make any sense. I want it to also, be enjoyable for everybody. Reverse, uh, family planning is incredibly successful when you know how to map your cycle. Right. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. So I recently listened to someone talking online about how the copper, we call it the copper IUD, mm-hmm. but it's a copper coil that is wrapped around a plastic uh, IUD. Of course. Right. And I had the Marina twice. First time, um, I don't think I had the wherewithal to pay much attention, but I thought it was magic and it was great. And then the second one, I had a tremendous amount of pain for quite a while. I had mm. to have it adjusted. Um And then similarly, when I got together with my now husband, I said, either you can get snipped or you can wear condoms. And he got snipped. (laughs) And so it's been really wonderful. But, you know, it it just speaks to, um, again, the ways that we've been taught to make changes for our bodies to get the things that we want. And you talked about listening to our bodies. And that's a huge part of my practice is really creating a space where people can come in and get learn how to get quiet with themselves to be able to listen and then there comes the the fun exercise of learning how to know what is your higher self or god whatever you call it and what is your ego and for a lot of us that have been in the game a long time our egos can sound really spiritual oh my ego sounds really fucking holy god oh, damn yeah. it like a little ram das in there i'm like I, I hear you you little fucker i know i'm like <laughs> i i don't know how long ago it was but i was like can you guys choose different voices <laughs> can one of you just take like a british accent please um and so you know uh, my suggestions when I work with people is which one is loving. Mm. That's going to be the truth. Yeah. Um, and it can be tricky when it's spiritual because it can be like, oh, well, that sounds loving. But if if I dig, and sometimes it takes a, a second and sometimes it can take days or maybe even months. But if I sit with it long enough, I can see whether or not it's founded in fear. Mm. You know, like yeah. how I decide to show up for my children Like I, of course I will bend over backwards for them because I'm their mom and there's still a part of me that's operating from the wounded child of being neglected and the things I experienced. So I have to check that when I start to feel like doo-doo because I'm not sleeping well or I'm not eating well or I'm not getting my self-care practices in because I'm trying to make sure that all of their needs are being met. Right. Instead of letting them also like trip and fall on their face and experience what it is to have a scab and have to care for that and, and to trust that they're going to heal along the process. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it can be, it can be interesting to consider that really like our bodies are our greatest lessons. And I think it's, I always want to say it's Pema Chodron, but I think I'm wrong in saying that um, the, the quote. So I'll just say it's unknown for right now, but, um, all suffering comes from body identification. Mm. Damn. Yeah. Damn. Just like pausing for a moment to like hear that again. All suffering comes from body identification. That's, that's so sad. I, um, a number of years ago I was, uh, I was working at a restaurant and there was this, um, you know, there's a bunch of college kids, you know, hosts and busters and staff and all this shit. 
and there was this 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 host that 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 I was working with that uh, was going to uh, UW Bothell, mm-hmm. and she would come in and she'd talk about the feminist courses that she was taking, mm-hmm. and they were just fascinating to me. The topic matter she was talking about, I'm like, y'all are talking about what in school? Like I feel like the the like dis dis disenfranchised old man. Like, what are you kids talking about? <laughs> But it was like, it was, at first I'm like, holy shit, like that's, I guess college, yeah, you do, you do you, right? And lesson plans and shit. And, but the more she started talking about, like what they talked about, I'm like, and this is early on in my personal spiritual journey. Like I just started doing yoga, you know, maybe just started thinking about the idea that there's something bigger than me out there, you Mm -hmm. know, all this shit, right? And, uh, but I had two daughters, right? And so I asked her one day and I'm like, is it? Is it an open class? Can people go audit the class? Like, just go sit there and just like hear? She's like, yeah, you want to come to class? I'm like, fuck yeah, I do. And so I went and I sat in a class with her and the teacher was awesome. And the, the, the students there were fantastic. It was a mix of all races, genders, ages. I thought I'd be the oldest person there, but, you know, all different ages, everything there. It's beautiful. And the, uh, the, the teacher, the, the, the subject matter when I went in was body dysmorphication, right? Mm. And, and they started talking off, uh, started off talking about how, um, every publication you look at, whether it's, uh, digital, um, it's print, you know, media and stuff like that. If there's a picture of a human being, that human being has been airbrushed in some kind of way. It's been altered, right? Yeah. Computer generated, you know, whatever it is. And this can be what we consider like our, our version of a beautiful human, right? What we think is like stereotypical, you know, quote unquote, no very much emphasize the quotes on that, but as a standard of beauty and in humanity. And so let's take like, you know, like, uh, in my age, it would have been like a Cindy Crawford type person. Right. Right. You know, um, that person who we see as like the pinnacle of beauty of sex of whatever is still not fucking perfect enough. And they still have to airbrush her. So what is psychologically, what is that saying to all of us that no matter how hard we try, no matter how many hours I put in at the gym, no matter how many fucking fasts I go on, I'm a fucking vegan, but I really want a steak, but I'm just going to do this (laughs) vegan shit because I know it's healthy. But we're still not good enough. We're still needing more augmentation or more, you know, kind of stuff like that. And that really fucked me up, especially having two young daughters. Yeah. You know, and, and trying to have them embrace the bodily changes they're going through through their hormones and puberties and shit. And uh, it was it was such a, a beautiful slap in the face. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things that you kind of knew was always out there, but you never really took the time to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it just like ran over you. Right. And it was like, hey, guess what? Fucking sexism's a thing. Fucking yeah. stereotypes are a thing. Uh, you know, all this shit. And I'm like, it, it just, it was really hard. But it was a perfect placement. It was the perfect placement at that time for me to have that check in myself. And yeah. I think that was that was the start of me, the, the aforementioned conversation of me catching myself ogling, mm. you know, or 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 uh, observing beauty, right? Right. At that time, it was ogling, hundred percent, right? Totally. Um, when we know better, we do better. Exactly. You know, and so yeah. it's just it's it's. It's beautiful to know that information's out there to find. Right. But it sucks that we have to find it. It's not just, right. it's not the way that we're being raised. You know? Yeah. And that's really kind of, it kind of irks me a little bit. But at the same time, like, I don't want anybody to oversee somebody else's life. Totally. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I've, and the better part of that is individual. Yeah. Right. Like, what is better for me is not going to be better for the next person that passes by. So when I know better for me, then I do better for yeah. me. 
And um, what was I reading? I was reading a something (laughs) I can see in my head. Um, But it was talking about, it was um, somebody, I don't know, it felt old. But it was talking about, you know, the the same cliche storyline of like, imagine walking into a field of flowers and they're all the same flowers mm. versus walking into a field of flowers where every flower is different. Right. Like, which one are you going to appreciate as beautiful? And so while I do want us as a species to wake up to more loving ways and, and changing our beliefs and influencing the world to do so, um, I'm also grateful that... I've had some of these challenges right. to give me something to work on. Um, because at the end of the day, <laughs> as we were talking before we started recording, it's like as a human being, I make problems to solve problems, to feel a sense of perfect purpose and, and fulfillment. Yeah. And so if there's nothing to work on, then that, t- that to me seems like, well, I'm done. I might as, you know, that feels like death. Really, right, yeah, and there are many, many, many deaths throughout everybody's lifetime, um, which is that the song that I uh, took a screenshot of this morning that I was telling you about. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Shedding skins by Fia or Faya. I'm not sure how mm. it's spelled, but um, and then similarly, there was a recording the other day about um, part of our healing process is learning how to properly grieve all of ourselves that have passed on Mm. and part of that is in letting go so yeah there's a big part of me right now there's something that i'm really working through uh, that that goes along with that and uh like i've i mean we all have past right and i've 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 held myself fucking accountable for my past right? right the drug dealings the abandoned fatherment the fucking just being an idiot child but I've never let that go. Like mm-hmm. that's been like my rock that I put put on my face and sleep on every night, right? And just bear the weight and the uncomfortableness of it. And and I feel like I've I felt like I've needed to have that there as the reminder of what not to go back to. Mm. Right? Remember what you've done so you don't do it again. Interesting. And it's this just it's this unbearable weight that just pulls behind me everywhere I go. And no matter how much progress I've made, I can always look back and see the shit that I've done. Right. Mm. The reminder. And, uh, and I was in a, I was in a, a spiritual training this, uh, last September in, in Sacramento and we made a medicine wheel, Lakota tribe style, you know, mm-hmm. our, our shamanic teachers, Lakota, uh, trained. And so we made this beautiful medicine wheel and I sat out there one night and just almost in tears, you know, I'm just like, just let it the fuck go. Just stop it. And I got this message paraphrasing that basically was like, remember the lessons, remember the lessons you've learned because they're important. You needed to go through what you needed to go through. So you learn that lesson, however hard, traumatic, whatever it went through. So you need the lesson, but you don't need the story that got you the lesson. So Mm -hmm. let the story go. But embrace the actual lesson so you don't go back and do it again. But let the story go. Let the fucking let the, the childhood abandonment shit for your kids go. Cause you're you're there now. You're a loving father. You're a loving parent. You've made amends, right? I don't sell drugs anymore. I don't fucking ruin people's lives. I'm not an alcoholic anymore. Like all this stuff I've gotten past. And I think there's a part of our society that is just like that where is that 
like a badge, badge of, honor, of honor, right? It's that that yeah. that just razor blade <laughs> and barbed wire laced blanket that we curl up with every night and be like, no, I'm cozy. I'm fine. Yeah. That's not blood. It's just, no, that'll be fine. It's just there to warm me. <laughs> You know, not knowing there's a marshmallow blanket right next to you. That's like the most cozy thing you've ever fucking experienced in your life. Right. right. And so that's the work that I've been trying to work on for myself and, and also for my clients. But I think that that adds into a lot of this stuff because I think a lot of us are ready to move past the thing. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, we keep looking back at the thing so we don't forget the thing. So we don't right. make that mistake, but it's Keeping like... Keeping it alive. Yeah, exactly. Yep, exactly. feeding it, feeding yep. it. It's that, yeah, which wolf do you want to feed, right? Yeah. Fuck. It's funny because like, I think it was just two days ago, I told one of my clients, I said, you do realize that when you die, you're not going to get to the gate and, and they're going to be like, you suffered the most. Here's the wand of <laughs> glorious <laughs> achievement. <laughs> like... It's really about us being able to get over ourselves. Oh, please. Can I just like, can we make an SNL sketch out of that, please? I just have that going in my head right now. <laughs> and and that's the reason why I was able to share that with her is because I lived that persona for so long. A lot of it was really fed through my chapters of Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay. Because when you go in those rooms and you tell your suffrage mm-hmm. over and over and over again, and afterwards people come up to you and tell you how amazing you are for accomplishing sobriety after you've been through so much, well, it starts to feel like you're being handed a plaque every time. Right. And, and I needed it. Yeah. I needed that at that time in my life. I needed to be boasted to, if, if anything, have a false sense of confidence that led me and fed me into something better. Right. So I don't poo-poo on it at yep. all because mm-hmm. it really did serve me. But it was... I don't know, maybe 2017, I was teaching, uh, co-leading an event Mm -hmm. where I realized, oh, if I'm identifying as a warrior, then I'm feeding the stories of my victim. And so for me, that was a shift. Wow. And it's not that I don't still slip into that. And, And hearing, great job, like, holy cow, what you've been through is incredible. I still enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, my ego is still alive and well. It helps me pick out the fact that I love my green water bottle and my green shoes and my, you know, my yellow sweater. And, um, but it also can become that spiritualized ego that we were talking about that says, well, you're better now because you did X, Y, and Z Mm -hmm. when really we're all human. Right. And I had a conversation with my best friend, one of my best friends yesterday and she basically was like, help me not do this thing that I really want to do. Because she knew that it wasn't going to be the right thing. Right. And and part of that was her sharing kind of the story about what was happening. And it was about this other person. And, and I said, well, my teacher always tells me, come back to how you feel about this situation. Right? Process your own feelings about it. And then also, I said, tell me something that you feel really like convicted about. Like just really like gnosis within you. And she said, justice and, and, and rightness. And I said, okay, so I want you to imagine that somebody came to you with an argument against that. Are you going to change your mind? And she started laughing. Mm-hmm. And I said, it's not your job to change somebody else's mind. Can we respect and appreciate the assignment that they have in our lives to show us what we need in this moment? Right. And it's really about accepting and letting go. Right. And 
you know, of course I can, I can preach all of that and speak all of that. But then of course, like, you know, I look at what's going on in my own personal world and there's a reason why those lessons are coming up for me. Yeah. I'm almost always teaching what it is that I'm immediately healing within myself oh. as a way of reaffirming my own lessons. Totally. It's like, oh, I had this problem. I found this solution. Let me share it with the world. Right. And it's efficacy lives on through me. And every time I repeat it. Yeah. It's part of why I do what I do. Right. Are you familiar with the hero's journey? The concept of the hero's journey? Yes. Uh, Joseph Campbell, right? Yeah. So I had a guy on a, a number of uh, episodes ago that we talked about the hero's journey and how, you know, yes, there's like, you know, you look at Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter, Star Wars, all this shit, you know, any, mm-hmm. any popularized story that's in you know, 19th century and yeah. far forward, right? Uh, but the, the topic that we got on was uh, what part are you playing in somebody else's hero's journey? Because you're not always the center of the story, right? You're mm-hmm. also a supporting character in somebody else's story. So in Lord right. of the Rings, right, you're Sam Wise to somebody else's Frodo, mm. right? You're the Gandalf. You're the, you're the Schmeagol, right? right? Might be the Sauron, right? <laughs> and so to that point you just made, it's like, it. What kind of supporting character am I playing in somebody else's in line, somebody else's life, right? Yeah. And how can I be that supportive? How can I be? And it's not always. And and, and this is, I think, where we get hung up. It's like we always want to be the supportive person. Yes, you got this. You can do it. Get up and fucking brush yourself off and do the thing. And by no means am I saying set out to do this other thing, but sometimes being the person that poo poo somebody's idea. And that challenges somebody in a way that they're not accustomed to being challenged, like intentionally playing that role of Sauron, mm-hmm. where you're really poking them for fucking on purpose, right? Yeah. So they can see how strong they really are. Yeah. Right? So, you know, and again, I'm not saying go around and start being a dick to people, just be like, no, I'm doing my Dharma. I'm fucking, <laughs> I'm the I'm the asshole in people's hero's journey. No. Like find the or way do. that, yeah, right. Yeah, fucking why not? Or may, do. Be the Hayoka of the world, right? You go out there, cause mischief, cause fucking mayhem in the in the name of spirituality, right? right. Fucking go at it, right? That's what Erica Badu is doing. I think that's Erica Badu's purpose in life is to be the Hayoka of the world right now. That's She's awesome. I fucking love her to death. But but you know, but sometimes like we we look for the right thing to say, we look for the right thing to do, which is great, right? But also sometimes we need to challenge people and right? just tell your truth. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, it's funny because uh, there's a conversation on a certain platform that I don't need to bring more attention to, um, but somebody made an accusation towards me the other day about not being professional. Oh, what does that mean? Uh, thank you. <laughs> that I got to that question, yeah. but at first I responded out of a trigger, but it came from a an F. It was my spiritualized ego. Uh huh. Um, Which is a beautiful. Right? It's a fun character to play. <laughs> yeah. I like sit up and pr- press my chest forward. So I responded to, in a way that to me in that moment felt like neutral and inquisitive. Because yeah. my thing is, is no matter who's upset, find a place for curiosity. Mm, so there was go. curiosity. And then eventually I did get to the, to the point where I said, who's the one defining what this professional looks like? Um, I did decide to disengage from the conversation because of what I realized is I was feeding a situation that wasn't serving me. Right, yeah. There was no solution that was being discussed, which is something I continued to ask for. But the, the point that I want to take away from that was I was telling my truth about a subject that I have a belief in. Mm. And in doing so, I also said what you and I say all the time, which is you do you, boo-boo. Like, mm-hmm. this is what I believe. And here's some science to give you information about why I've made that decision. But again, do what is best for you. 
um, my desire in that event was to share information because in the time when I had made the decision that I made originally about this said subject, I didn't have all of the information. And so I made one decision. And then 10 years later, making that decision again, I made the other decision mm -hmm. because I had other information. There you go. And so um, it was really interesting though to have somebody have a perspective that I, I know is a projection. Right. That because I was telling my truth, which in that moment was also my opinion, um, that that would somehow mean that I was unprofessional or whatnot. And and funny enough, last night my daughter came home and she had done her nails. She does her nails a lot. She's incredibly artistic. Oh, good on her. And she says, what do you think? Do you like them? And I said, mm, they're not my favorite. And she goes, oh, whatever. And I go... If I said I liked them, would you trust me every other time I told you that I liked them? Or do you want to know that I'm going to tell you the truth? There you go. And she was fine, right? There you go. I love that. I mean, I know she wasn't legitimately upset. She yeah. was just being funny and dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> Teenage but, dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> and that's something, again, going back to, you know, this thread in my entire life is I've always been the one to tell the truth. And it's always my truth. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can be the thorn in people's sides. I've learned grace in that, that I only give information that has been invited, mm -hmm. whether through conversation and, and debate or just curious, you know, people having chat or, you know, I have clients that pay me a lot of money to tell me what I see. Right. And, um, and I've learned to keep my mouth shut in my relationships that either have asked before and didn't respond well and haven't asked again, or haven't asked yeah. because they're not ready to face, they know what it is, right? And this happens a lot in, yeah. in my relationships. And so what's really beautiful is when I have relationships, particularly friendships, where they can be honest about the times that I've hurt their feelings because of something that I said, or maybe not because of what I said, but how I said it. And then again comes the opportunity of curiosity on both sides yeah. that I can ask questions to understand like what was triggered in that space and then speak to my motivation. And then they can become curious about what I meant by what I said. Right. And therefore we find compassion and healing happens. Right. Nowhere in there is there an admission of guilt or an admission of victimhood. Yeah. It's like you had this part, I had this part, and this is how it played out. Can we... Talk about it. Right. Yeah. I love that because I think we're so caught up in this, like, somebody's got to apologize. Somebody's, somebody's got to be, be a blame, right? You know, we're in a blame-centric society. And that's where, you know, something like, like sexual liberation can be so jarring to people, right? Because one, we're not a very sexually uh, open country. We don't talk about it a lot, even though behind the scenes, we're all fucking doing it. Rather, right. we're like, you know... Uh, above board on what our sexual preferences are. We're sneaking around behind the scenes because we're afraid of what people will say. Right. People you don't know. want to be non-monogamous. They'll right. just have affairs. Right. Exactly. Jesus fucking Christ, man. <laughs> you know, and it's interesting because there's, there's one thing that, not one thing, I shouldn't just say one thing, but there's something that, that really kind of, when I, when I, when I think about sexual liberation and, and trauma, you know, for me, there's, like I, I used to be a, a GM, right? Of restaurants I used to be like the manager, the, the, the decision maker, if you will. Right. Yeah. And I, 
fucking hate making decisions so much now. And mm-hmm. I don't, and I think it's because I got decision fatigue finally. Like I finally realized I've, I've just made all the decisions. That's right? why people argue over where to go for dinner. Right. Right. <laughs> I, and I've noticed myself doing that. Like I argued with Monica about something like a couple of weeks ago and I'm like, <laughs> but I caught myself cause I'm working on it. And I'm like, what are we fucking arguing? It's a, it's a green, yellow, purple. I don't fucking care. Right. Call it what you want. Right. Whatever. Um, but it's interesting because a lot of people, I shouldn't say a lot, but I do feel, I do hear a lot of stories about people that have, that are in those roles, the acronym roles, the CEOs, COOs, whatever, blah, 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 whatever, that secretly turn to things like dominatrixes or, or S&M because the power, they've had all the power. It's like they make all the decisions and not just saying men, there's women too, right? There's oh, yeah. all different genders turning to something that strips the power away from them submissive exactly right mm-hmm. i don't want to be the decision maker anymore and in you know it's something that that was something that i thought about it probably if i had an avenue to explore it in i probably would explore it at that point in time in life mm-hmm. but it wasn't you know but it was one of those things of like fuck what can i do to not just fucking not make decisions anymore mine was drink yeah I mean, I'm take the decision making away from it i'm just going to drink myself to a stupor right um so there's like the shadow side of sexual liberation, you know, where you're, you know, it's like you're going to hide in that space because that's like the only safe space you can find. But can we get to a place where we're in a society where one, we can talk about sexuality more, not just sex, but sexuality right? and be okay with people exploring their ways of pleasure, their ways of release, their ways of whatever it is, um, whether it's for like personal just satisfaction, which is fantastic, we need more of that in life, right. or is it to help unravel some of the trauma in life? Yeah. Right? Like ketamine therapies or MDMA therapies, you know, beautiful ways to induce bliss in the body and then recall some of that shit you've gone through so that you can remember it a different way, right? Right. Yeah. So listening to what was that podcast I was talking about? Listening to Jaya mm-hmm. on the human upgrade. Oh, the human upgrade, yep. Um, she talks about, and which like listening to her was so relieving to me. Um, I've loved her work and almost did her, uh, training course back in 2017. And I'm kind of kicking myself at this point. It's way more expensive. And, (laughs) you know, I know better than to have regrets, but there is that part of me that's like, oh, you know, and I also really, really respect and I'm grateful for the training that I have that's leading into a different way of working in these realms. But I reference that because in the conversation, she talks about the spiritual component for um, for working in this arena, right? Through play and pleasure. And um, I don't remember if it was him that said it on this podcast. Yeah, he referenced, he goes, I've talked to a ton of people that say when they have sex, they go to, they meet God yeah. and their partners may not even know it. Mm. And So she's talking about that. And then plant medicine came in and was a conversation. And she said, um, it's really important not to get stuck on the tool. And I was also really grateful that she talked about that because, uh, for me, my relationship with plant medicine has been profound, but not very extensive. And, and he kind of like makes fun of somebody who's talked about having like 87 journeys with ayahuasca and, and again, you do you, but here's the thing for me in my journey is that every time I've gone in with medicine, I've gotten to a place that is familiar for me because I've gotten to that same place through sex and intimacy, through meditation, through breath work. And, 
um, one of the things that he refers to is the great thing with doing it through sex and intimacy is that you're fully present. So you remember and are able to integrate what it is that you experienced where oftentimes with medicine, Mm -hmm. maybe you remember 20%. Right. Or maybe you remember 80% for a period of time, but then you only are actually able to integrate maybe 10 or 20%. Yeah. And so it becomes this, um, this place where we on our spiritual journeys can evolve. Like, why did we decide as a society that our genitalia and even our armpits are not a place for pleasure? Right. Like, why is it, you know, and there's, again, like, Justin Lay Miller wrote the book, Tell Me What You Want. And it's the first medically documented research on um, fantasy and desire. So to speak to what you were talking about is he actually interviewed and did the study on thousands of people of all different backgrounds, races, sexes, gender identification, sexual expressions, political divisions, Mm -hmm. all the things. And the number one thing that's fantasized about is group play. traditionally referred to as a threesome. Okay. Right? Yeah. Which in... in, Anyway, don't need to comment on that. (laughs) So, um, but then he talks about um, the people who had X kind... Like, there's different categories of the types of fantasies Mm -hmm. and then the type of people who traditionally would fantasize about those things. Okay. You'll have to look into it. I'm referring it to everybody in the... As a listener. Um, It's not surprising... But it's fascinating. Mm. And 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 I would say almost, I don't want to say comical because I don't want to dismiss um, the story behind it. But it's what you would expect for people who maybe are of a conservative background, both okay. religiously and politically, that they tend to have the most novel and kinky of fantasies. That's... Yes, I've have I've read that. It's the you know, it's the rebellion. Mm-hmm. And so again, like would we feel like we had to seek out what I know to be a chemical release within our bodies of that guilt and shame that we get high off of? Right. Would we need that? Would it be necessary if as a society as a whole we were taught that these are these things are okay? Right. And I love Emily Nagoski, another book that I will rave about, and I kind of refer to it as my Bible. If you ever see me walking mm. around with it, it has tabs and notes everywhere. Um, it's Come As You Are. Okay. Oh, I've heard of that one. Yeah. And her phrase that I've taken from that book, there's a lot of them, but the one that's coming to mind is, never yuck anyone's yum. i love that so much right (laughs) and i've heard it in a couple shows now and i'm like "Ooh, somebody's been listening to emily but um and her premise on that is as long as it's not hurting anyone yeah totally and and there comes in well what about kink right there are things that that are absolutely in the pain realm totally and one of the big things that a lot of women and men actually fantasize about is consenting non-consent. So there are people, and if you watch any of the, there's even some series on Netflix. There's the Goop one that's pretty famous that Jaya's in. uh, Sex, Love, and Goop, actually. And then there's one that uh, Emily Nagoski's in. And I think in that one in particular, I'm not remembering the name of it, but if you look, just Google Emily Nagoski Netflix, it should pop up. Um, There's a woman that speaks uh, pretty elaborately about the really popular fantasy of rape. Right, yeah. And going back to what you were just saying, it's 
the utter idea, and especially in the, obviously not in real rape scenes, this is not what I'm promoting, so please don't confuse the two. Consenting non-consent is when two people or more are in an agreement with very clear boundaries that the person who is surrendering is actually in control, and then the person who is giving is playing a role, but the person who's surrendering, surrendering doesn't have to make a decision. Oh, interesting. And so for a lot of people who live a life and a persona of being an alpha, it's an opportunity to completely let go. Just be dominated themingly against your will. Yeah. So where else do we completely let go? Yeah. Where, what activities in your life do you participate in today where you let go? There's few and far between. Right. Playing music may be the one thing that I can think of on top of my head. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Plant medicine. Plant medicine, most definitely. Yeah. Meditation. That's, you know, plant medicine, the reason I, I'm drawn to that is because that is the only modality that I found that I can, I have no, no desire, no ability, and no wherewithal to control. Exactly. Right? You take five, more than five grams of mushrooms, <laughs> then you're, there's nothing you can do. You're going to end up naked in a fucking wood somewhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> Hunt, cuddling with a fucking pack of coyotes, right? Shit's going to happen, right? Yeah. All good. But I, that's that's the thing for me. It's like that control. That, that's the, the main way that I've found that I can release control is mm-hmm. to just take the opportunity for control completely out of my hands. You know? Yeah. There's something that I read a while back that was really kind of profound to me. And I, I didn't grow up religious. Um, grew up with religious overtones, but not, you know, parents weren't Yeah, that. you can't avoid it here. Yeah, exactly, right? And I grew up in the South, so you mm. got like the Bible Belt, oh, right? Yeah. And the Baptists and all that shit, right? Yeah. Uh, but... The thing that I read was, uh, you know, the, 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 when the church started becoming into power, coming to power like, what, 2,000 years ago, right? There's a big struggle, the shift, you know. And one of the reasons why um, sex was kind of demonized with the exception of procreation was, for what you said, that was our direct pathway to God. Yeah. Well, we didn't, we can't do that because there's a church involved. There's got to be an intermediary, right? Mm-hmm. And so you'd have to go to your priest, your nun, your whatever, your father, whatever, to talk to God so they can relay the message. Right. Right. And, but we have it within us. Like I can have sex and talk to God. Right. Mm-hmm. I can, you know, can, I can induce this kind of uh, arousal, this pleasure, this, this connection by myself or with a, with a consenting person with me. Right. And, you know, and so it's, 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 it's almost like, and I, and I don't, I don't, I don't like to follow conspiracies, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm not like a conspiracy junkie, but they pop up every once in a while. But, it's hard not to think of conspiracies when this is some of the information that's out there. It's like, oh, we see that you can connect with God. That's sorry, no, we're trying to control that. So you're gonna yeah. have to go through us. We're gonna demonize sex. No, you can't touch yourself. You can't touch anybody else unless you're gonna have kids. But then we can touch those kids. You know, it's like right. what the fuck is going on here? Uh, and it's just it's just so interesting. Like when you start to unravel like the societal quote unquote societal norms that we live in. And where these norms started to really root from, a lot of it is that power, that control, that lack of individualism. We don't want you to think for yourself. No, right. we don't want you to do things for yourself. We you want you to be a part of this, right? Yeah. We have a we have a world to build. We have an economy to fucking discover and all this shit. Yeah. Fucking hell, man. Yeah, it's I'm starting to deepen some of my awareness around history. So one of the things that happens for me when I am uh, receiving and or giving is I get a lot of like psychedelic vision, psychic okay. vision. 
And recently I was at a training and I had the pleasure of having two people working on me at one time. Okay. And part of my practice is allowing my body to experience pleasure for the sake of pleasure because I've been experimenting and exploring the spiritual realms of my bodily experience for a really long time for the sole purpose of healing and helping others. And I'm, I'm now at a place where I'm like, okay, but me, my turn, me, let me, let me have this. And so interestingly enough, I still have those other experiences, but I feel like they're reaching me in this lifetime on a different level. Like it's almost more saturation. Okay. And I guess in some ways I'm a very visual person. And I love analogies, but it feels like, you know, my cup is filling and it's giving me a lot more to be able to pour from. Uh, and yeah. thank God, because, you know, I've been in the industry. I teach how to like manage self and, and yet still it's something I struggle with to like be pouring from a dusty cup. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I had the, um, the beautiful container of this training, right? And we're on day three, so I'm already pretty well grounded in my body. I have a felt sense of these people and who I'm partnering with. Mm-hmm. And um, before we begin, there's always the container is specifically set around intentions, fears, and anxieties, and uh, boundaries. Okay. So as this is beginning to happen, I'm having to use my words and speak up to what it is that's comfortable, what's not comfortable, yeah. more of that, this, less of that. Yes, that pressure is great. No, you know, like, mm-hmm. which is for a lot of people really challenging. Yeah, most definitely. So that there's different with, tools. Yeah. Yeah. There's different tools that can be used, hand signals, things like that. Okay. Um, but at this point, this is not a beginner level. I just want to say that like nobody would be put in this position as a new person. Right. Yeah. Um, so as I'm being worked on for the first time, and I feel like I feel so honored and like really excited that this happened because uh, the serpent has been a symbol in my life in the wellness world and, and part of studies and things that I see externally for a really long time. But for the first time, I saw it and felt it in my body. Oh, interesting. And I actually got the dual serpent where it was coming basically from my womb space, from my hips all the way up my spine. And when it reached somewhere between my heart and my head, a white light that I've seen a couple of times through Mm -hmm. other avenues came in and then as it came back to like collect in the center, it blossomed into the onk. Wow. And that same time in my life as an 11-ish year old, my stepdad was taking me to Tenzing Momo in Seattle. We would ride, because I lived on the peninsula, we'd ride the ferry over, I'd get my hair braided, he'd take me to all the hippie shops. Yeah. I bought an onk necklace. I had no clue what it was, but it called to me. Yep. And it was so funny because over all the years, I was like, what is that about? What is that about? So that vision of the serpents and the the onk happened. And then this last week, I was in a trade session with a girlfriend of mine, and I got the Buddha eyes. Oh, interesting. And, um, And so she was talking about, like, wow, you're very visual. And I was like, there are times where I'm learning that I need to, like, turn it off. But I get these these symbols that come through. And then after my sessions, I refer back to them as messengers and I get to understand like, what is this applying for me in my life right now? Interesting. And, um, 
I don't remember where or when it was, but the reason why I brought this up is because I saw and have been seeing Isis over and over again, the really? goddess. Yeah, yeah. Um, I put up to my husband and he's like, Isis. And, you know, he refers that, to a different version. The, the terrorist group? Yeah. And I was like, no, babe. He goes, if you bring Here that up, people woods. are going to assume. And I said, maybe your people. Um, I say Isis to you and you know exactly what I'm exactly talking, about, talking about. Yeah, right? yeah, so totally. there, there's a difference. So yeah. God, God is Isis. Um, so what happened as that came to me in my session I'm trying to remember who it was with and I, oh, now I know who it was. She's my body worker. Her and I are also evolving and doing some work together. Yeah. Um, I see it and I feel utter bliss and this honor and this oneness, right? This like merging of truth and spirit and maybe past lives. I don't know. And then I take a breath and immediately guilt. Mm. And, and the voice that comes through or the messaging that comes through is, who am I in this white body to feel related to that? Right, yeah. And so what's beautiful is her and I can have some really in-depth talks. Um, she's Native American, and I've had a, really, a lot of really strong visions with her. Actually, <laughs> her grandfather comes in a lot when we're working together. Oh, right on. Um, and so, again, the quote, right? All suffering comes from body identification. Oh, uh, yeah. But if I know that I'm spirit, and if I truly believe what I believe, which is that we've lived many lifetimes, who's to say that I haven't been an ancestor? And um, Ancestral Medicine is a book that I've dove into. I haven't finished it. Um, but he talks about how ancestors are any teachers that you respect. And so another teacher of mine talks mm. about how do we do that in modern society? Right. And it's because I reference the history of what's influencing my modern work. Right. And if we're not, I see a branch jiggling over behind your shoulder. And that's always when my grandma's saying, Hey, oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, if we don't evolve ancient traditions, where will that leave us? I, so I think that's such a great conversation that we need to keep alive within, yeah. within all, all aspects of life. And, uh, and where, where I, my part of that conversation for myself is, is I, I've, I've been drawn to Hindu, Sanskrit, um, totally. Buddhist chants, um, for a number of years now. And, and when, and when I first, that first came into my purview, I'm like, no, sorry, white guy, you're not doing this. This yeah. is, you know, this is not your, your jam. Right. But it kept coming back, kept coming back, and then books were given to me and all this stuff, and I'm like, God damn it, okay, let's <laughs> like okay, God bless I fucking it. hear it. <laughs> but you know, but it, you know that 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 imposter syndrome, that appropriation, the colonization, like all those ideas were there. But part of it too was like, well, Adam, who knows if you haven't lived like a thousand lives as a Hindu man, woman, or being of some sort, right? Mm -hmm. Been a Buddhist, been a Taoist, been, you know, an Eastern person, you know, whatever, you know, whatever. You have no idea. Right. So take it upon yourself to find the way that you would feel that would honor this tradition. And that's what I did. And I found my way of honoring it. So chants come to me. I sit with them for 40 days to 90 days, chant up 100 times a day, 108 times a day, you know, have my method that I've researched that I saw this. This is the way the yogis did it back then, yada, yada, yada. So I embrace that and that's now part of my practice. And I feel good about that. So when people come to me and challenge me, 
you know, and by no means am I like, well, I've done my research. No, I, but I feel good in the answers that I give because I feel strong in the stance that I've taken. But Through experience. Right. Exactly. Right. Lived experience. Lived experience. hundred yeah. percent. But you know, so in that journey, I, one of the friends that kind of was an influence in my, my chanting, I'd go to her, you know, for help here and there. And we had actually a project together we were working on. And I remember one time I asked her, who's, who writes the chants now? You know, cause it can't have stopped, right? Mm-hmm. There's still gotta be chants happening. Like, is there going to be somebody is like, is somebody writing or, or speaking chants about Gandhi or mm-hmm. mother Teresa or, uh, the Dalai Lama or Ram Dass, right? You know, these, these holy figures of our time. Right. And the woman looked at me like I just like slapped her child. Mm. And I'm like, whoa, no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not trying to be offensive and I'm not saying like, I'm going to be the one to do this, you know, but it was just the, the question posed. Like these traditions don't just stop because we've reached a certain amount of time. Right. They're songs. We still have songs, right? So is it is it they've morphed into different types of things that we just haven't looked at yet? Are they Gandharavas, you know, the the, the Hindu or the or the the you know, like the Gregorian chants that we have, right? Mm-hmm. That are ancient still, right? But I think that we get so caught up sometimes in, in like this is the tradition. Yeah. It has to be this. Well, we're we're humans we've not even humans this universe mm-hmm. has been evolving for billions and billions and billions of years so are we that arrogant to think that this is going to stop well right? and when you were sharing that i was like why wouldn't it be you like that idea was delivered to you divinely mm. and we talked about this during yeah. our last podcast if we believe that we are one mind it wasn't just given to you. So you can take it and you can run with it and be the guy. And of course, you're going to get some heat. Oh, yeah. Most but who that has changed history didn't get heat. Yeah. Right. right? Yeah. And I'm really grateful <clears throat> to be you know, in connection with different people of different cultures and different backgrounds that are bringing their medicine to the... Obviously, we've been talking about plant medicine. That's not white man medicine. Right. Right. And similarly, like if I'm going to reference white man medicine, like we still live within the pharmaceutical system. And like if I have a headache that's bad enough, I'm going to take you some ibuprofen, right? right? If I'm really, really struggling with depression to the point where I feel like I'm going to be suicidal, I might use an antidepressant. I'm not poo-pooing on any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. However, can we live together and do it harmoniously where, like you said, can I respect the history and so you've been out to the retreat space. Mm-hmm. We honor the land. Yes. We give resources to be able to learn more about how to do that. I don't know enough to be able to speak directly to the Native Americans' experience, but I've gotten enough to know to say this is really important. Mm. And I don't think that anybody who's lived in this territory could operate spiritually without an influence of our Native American traditions. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I've listened to... The evolution of that, which is even over the last 10 years, it's rapidly changed. And I understand, again, if I were to listen to an elder of a culture that's been, you know, their traditions have been stolen and sold for profit without the respect. And if I listen to their anger, I'm going to have compassion and understanding while I can also listen to their cousin who says, yes, this happened, and I would still like to bring this medicine forward and make it right. Can we, can we, can we blend it? And right. uh, I was online this morning for a hot second posting about an event that we have coming up. 
and I would share it, but this podcast will be happening after that. It'll be delivered after it's already passed and done. Uh, But regardless, I suppose mentioning one of my best friends, Mama Moon, Stephanie Robinette, she is magical. Please reach out to her for her medicine. Um, But while I popped online, um, I think it's called Eighth Generation. Okay. Have you heard of them? I don't think so. They're a local organization okay. that is all about supporting local. They're they're owned and ran. I don't know if owned is proper with an organization like that, but they're ran by um, Native Americans and they support Native Americans in the area by um, promoting and selling their products. All right on. And so the thing that was posted this morning was, um, if I'm white, can I wear this Native American? article of clothing. Mm, okay. And when I first read the title, I was like, Oh, I felt myself get nervous. Right. Which tells me I still have guilt yep. in me that I can work through. Mm-hmm. But when I read the answer, it was beautiful. It said, yes, wear it. Please buy from one of your local native American tribes. Yeah. You know, versus mm. going on Amazon or God forbid any of these other places that are, I don't even want to go down the rabbit hole. I've listened to a lot of people yeah. with certain companies where I'm like, I know you can get that for $3, but think about why. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, just in case you come back, no better, do better for me. Um, but that there are ways that these, these bridges of separation are becoming shorter, right? That we've, we are beginning on a, I don't want to say a new way because I think that that's been happening for generations, but right. it seems to be there's a potency that's happening um, and it's hard for people to get on board with, but um, that is closing and people are coming together more. And a big conversation that I know you and I've had before is like integration. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I think whether we're talking about plant medicine uh, sexual healing, therapy, pharmaceuticals, yeah. yoga. Um, there's a place for all of it to exist and really finding what, what works best for you. And, and in doing so, you know, for me, going back to the, the hot topic, this thread of wanting to serve and really help people understand their relationship to sex and really work through guilt and shame and, and find their liberation. It's been there for me my whole life. Right. And I've had clients that have come to me um, for years, assuming that this was work that I had already been doing, which is flattering. Mm. And I think on some level, yes, I have been. But this, this chapter for me right now is very intentional. Um, I've looked at a multitude of different programs. Right now, I'm currently apprenticing with a woman named Amara Karuna. She's based in Hawaii. She's an OG. She's Mm. been doing this work since 1978. Good. Oh, yeah. That's what's up. Yeah. So I feel incredibly blessed to be in this group with her and learning and exploring. Her backgrounds are Taoism, Neo-Tantra. There's so many others. Orgasmic meditation. She's really, like, done a lot. And then she does... um, I think she might be a, a counselor. She used to be a massage therapist. And so she's really taken, it feels similar to my world in a different way, but 
similar where she's taken all of these things that she studied for her own healing and Mm -hmm. liberation and then created them into different methods and modalities. And so, um, yeah, I stumbled upon her. There is, um, several things happening in the Seattle area. There's the center for sex positivity. That's Mm. a really great community to get, um, involved in. They offer a variety of different classes they have introductions that I think are really important. Yeah. Um, there's a new chapter that just started literally like this last week. Um, oh, what is it called? I think it's Seattle Sex Positive chapter, okay. something like that. Oregon has a really big one that's been flourishing, and I think Seattle's branching off. Cool. Um, so there's places to go for people to get information and find safety and community and yeah. and even dip a toe in without fully committing, right? Just to learn yeah. more about. And... I think that, so there's another one too I want to mention, especially because some of my dear sisters um, have ministered this, but it's called um, the Temple of Sacred Arts and it's right in Seattle. I've heard of that one actually. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a few of my girlfriends started that and they are holding different workshops periodically. Um for me and where I'm at with my own space and where I'm wanting to grow with it is I have a, a vision uh, referencing what you were just saying about dipping the toe in. Mm-hmm. So I really want to create a program where people can come and just do an anatomy workshop. Mm. And then from there, maybe they do a conscious platonic touch workshop But I also, and I I say these things and I'm like, do I or don't I? I don't know. So I get to change my mind. So if in, you know, a year or three years you listen to this and you're like, where's that thing she was talking about? Um, I'm not holding myself to it, but, um, I would like, um, some kind of graduation, uh, for people to feel like they've attended said classes, um, especially with like the wheel of consent, Mm. really, really deeply understanding and and learning how to operate in that because there's something to be said about people who attend a workshop and then can move on because they've attended that workshop, but they're not really operating under the respect of what was being taught. Right. And I'm not into cancel culture. Yeah. So if you break the rule, I'm not going to say you're not allowed back. And that can happen in some of these spaces. Oh yeah. Um, which then just perpetuates the guilt and the uh, shame that yeah. led to the behavior in the first place. Um, and my girlfriend and I were talking the other day, particularly about working with male clients, is part of this work is being able to connect your cock to your heart. Mm, so if you're very disassociated, yeah, <laughs> to parts of your body. Well, and then you think of the reverse for women; it's connecting their hearts to their power center. Uh, yeah. So. For the shadow side of the masculine and the feminine, we deal with, you know, stereotypically vague speaking here, men who are um, false pride masculinity, right? Mm -hmm. Where they're trying to prove themselves and taking more than they earned and peacocking like that. that. Taking more than they earned. They're they're living in lack mentality. I don't like that verbiage. Scratch that from the record. Deal. But that there is this, uh, this persona that's given off when you're in that space. And then for other, uh, women that are living only from their heart space and disempowered, they are the ones that often find that they are taken advantage of feeling like a doormat. They're often finding themselves with things like 
of certain ailments. Um, there's the somatic side of this work that I'm very in tune to as well. Yeah. Um, that's gotta be interesting too, is like, as you start to see the somatic repercussions of some of this work, you know, of like the, the non-work, I guess. Yeah. And it's, that's gotta be so interesting to start to connect a lot of those dots to the emotions that they represent. Well, or the by the book, when the body through. says no, by Gabor Mate, okay. um, he speaks to it in such a beautiful way, uh, that it's almost mind blowing. Mm. Because a lot of people will say that it's really difficult to find the common thread, and this is science-based, of what causes someone to have breast cancer or testicular cancer or prostate cancer, right? Um, but in his book, he talks about how they actually see this common thread, and uh, it's almost always some traumatic event, yada, yada, right? Gotcha. And that's that's like three or more podcasts. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> But he doesn't talk about, at least I haven't recalled from memory or maybe there's pieces of information I missed, but it, there isn't a subject that talks about um, the somatics of the genitalia mm. and our society that is touch starved. Yes. And, you know, I recently had a client that was sharing with me that it's not even that they want to have sex, but they just miss hugging people and being touched. Right. And so there, there's another group in Seattle called Humanimals. Um, I only know one of the two people that put it on very, very sweet human being. And I've heard really great things, but it's basically a workshop. Um, they hold workshops where you can go and cuddle, but then you learn Mm. the consent wheel and then you get to exchange with either a group or a person. You also don't have to do anything. You can just sit and watch, which was part of our conversation too. It's like, you don't have to do anything just because you signed up. Right. Um, but it's clothing on, it's not sexual, Mm -hmm. but just a place where you can experience being touched. I love that. Because, you know, it's important. Hugs are so important. I I read something the other day, whimsical or not, I love it and I'm going with it. It's, uh, you need four hugs a day to, to survive, Hmm. eight hugs a day to thrive, 12 hugs a day to grow. Oh, that's amazing. I'm like, that's cool. Going yeah. for 12 hugs a day. That's that's my goal. All right. We'll know. get three more in before I exactly. leave today. <laughs> you know, and I work in yoga studios and healing. It's easy for me to get that, you yeah. know, but like, I think that's where the, 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 the physical touch, consensual physical touch yeah. is something that we're very much missing. And especially now that COVID has been a thing, right? Mm-hmm. We went from maybe overtly like blowing out candles and spitting out other people's foods and too much high fives after crotch grab and whatever. Right. No hand washing. But, but there is so such a beauty in that. There is an intimacy in that, right? Yeah. And I think we get we get the word intimacy kind of hung up on like sexuality, right? Totally. There's a there's a guy I listened to not too long ago, and he made made this beautiful point. I wish I could remember his name, but he was like, so basically, so the point was like, we, you and me, everyone and I share an intimacy, right? Yeah. That that is very unique that I couldn't have with anybody else because we're unique individuals. And so we're going to connect on a way that nobody else is. Right. And, and again, that doesn't have to be a sexual intimacy. It's just totally. humans connecting. And I think when we can start to understand that, maybe the ego can take a little break because we can finally realize that we're not going to be everything to everybody that we're a part of. I can't be in my situation, Monica, my fiance I can't be everything that she needs, right? right? I'm only one person. And if I try to do all that, 
I'm going to probably bastardize myself, right? Totally. And, you know, it's like it's like a restaurant that serves every type of food, right? It's like, the, the, I can't ever do that. delicious. Exactly. It's all going to be mediocre, right, <laughs> yeah. at best. Chef Mike's back there doing his best. Right. But, you know, but if Smoking we can... Smoking on his breaks. Right. Totally. <laughs> but if we, could, if we could embrace, like, that... So, yes, I get intimacy from Monica, sexual, non-sexual. But she's going to get a level of intimacy from her friend Sam that I can't give her because her and Sam have a different relationship. Totally. I could be jealous of that. But if I become jealous of that, then that's also me thinking that I have to do what Sam does for her. But I can't do that. They're not crossing any boundaries that, that we've established in our relationship. Right. So why can't I just like be okay with Sam uh, providing her with a level of intimacy that I'm not able to? Because we've been taught that that means we're not enough. Right. Hence monogamy all being what it is. Yeah. And you could look at something like high school, right? We, we're Friends. valedictorian, right? Well, even my, my daughter hanging out with one friend that doesn't get along with the other friend and then that friend gets mad. Yep. When my daughter started going into that conversation with me, she's like, I can't believe she hung out with so-and-so. And we had to have a conversation and, and it was a agree to disagree and understanding that she can't hold that novelty at this point. Yeah. But, um... Yeah. Can you imagine even just for a moment of what it would feel like to try to fulfill everybody's expectations mm, of us for no. every relationship? God damn it. I feel like I just split into a bazillion pieces. Like I yeah. just combust. <laughs> I, I refer back to the aforementioned conversation about dominatrix. I would just be with a ball gag in my mouth and a leather thong and spikes. Somebody beat the shit out of me because I can't take this anymore. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which brings me to the, the book Existential Kink. Like, okay. if, if, if we don't believe that we're all kinky to some degree, then we wouldn't be repeating the same suffering over and over again. It's a very interesting point. We're all slightly turned on and aroused by the experience. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in one of my, I have a private group on Telegram, um, and it's, it's basically for those who are engaged and wanting to ha be involved in conversations. And one of the days I said, I like to do fun little polls. And I said, if you could only do one for the rest of your life, what would it be? And it was like biting or spanking. Ah. And everybody was like, why do I have to choose? And yeah. I'm like, we don't actually have to choose. It's just for fun. Like it's a thought exercise, Come you know, <laughs> but it's like, you know, the, um, the idea that like we have these fun little pleasures that we can indulge in and and the freedom that we don't have to choose mm. because what may turn me on today may turn me may not turn me on tomorrow and vice versa totally. another throw in for the erotic blueprints it's worth the $17 to do the full quiz mm. i tell people it's like the love languages for your genitals what which is kind of a funny way. I heard somebody else say it's like a love it's like love languages for your sexuality. Okay. And so the blueprints really do give you uh, language to be able to speak to what it is that turns you on, why Very and good. how. Yeah. And one of the things that a lot of their coaches um, support people through, and I would like to also as I move towards working with more couples and group work is helping people understand that the idea that we are incompatible sexually is a myth. Mm. It just means that we don't fully understand each other's erotic blueprints. Right. And Jaya talks a lot about that around her and Ian's story, which is quite fascinating. Um, very similar to my husband and I. Okay. Um, but hers were even more extreme. So um, I don't remember which blueprint, but basically I think it was like, 
he was a hundred percent one thing and she was zero percent the other thing. Mm. Um, and you know, through growth and evolution, your blueprints change right. similar to love languages. Like okay. in the past words of affirmation were nowhere on my chart. And now I rather enjoy exchanging them. Mm. It's not my go-to right. physical touch and quality time are both highest on mine. They score equally. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, it's like not feeling stuck. Yeah. Well, it's nice to know that there's other now more accepted and popularized avenues to get this information rather than just watching porn on the internet. Yeah. Right. Because I think there's, there's a big, obviously there's a big disservice that humanity has been done because, you know, we males that use a lot of males males have learned how to have sex from watching tv porn and totally. internet porn and that there's nothing about that 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 is real life right, there, right. you know you're 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 not going to go like fucking drop a package off of somebody's house and then all of a sudden get your dick sucked right it's right. not gonna maybe it does maybe it does i just I'm haven't like, had well... the right houses right <laughs> <laughs> but but you know in but the level of violence a level of like you pleasure me you know just like the way that the whole thing's the been imbalance. set up exactly right and it, it's just so nice now that there is accepted ways rather than you know cuz we had like Dr. Judy you know back in yeah. our days remember Adam the, this Adam Carolla and the uh, Dr. Drew they did the sex show the, yeah. the radio show wait are you talking uh, about Dr. Ruth Dr. Ruth there okay. you go Dr. I Ruth I was like that wait I said yes and it's funny cuz Jaya talks about her in her podcast too yeah yeah same. As a kid, I was like, I loved watching Dr. Yeah. Ruth. That was a lot of how I learned about things at that time. Totally. You know, but now we have places where you can go, safe information that you can gather so that you can, you know, approach sexuality in, in, a, in a divine way yeah. and maybe continue that journey instead of, you know, maybe approaching it just solely from a pleasure, pleasure me kind of way. Yeah. Um, and then have to maybe re-learn some steps in the back end, you know? Yeah, there's, um, I've been referring to a lot of books today, but there's the one here on the table, Women's Anatomy of Arousal. Mm. It says Secret Maps to Buried Ple Pleasure. Uh, it's by Sherry Winston. And then there's also, I think it's called Bliss Flow. Um, I'm hoping that that's at least very close. <laughs> but it's literally like a manual mm. that shows all these different techniques. And there's drawings that oh, indicate really? like where to put your hand, what to do with it, how mm. much pressure. It shows images of tongues and different genitalia and what to do with it. And it has like um, one half of the book is dedicated to vulva and vaginas. And the other is dedicated to the, the penis and the scrotum. Mm -hmm. I think both include multiple parts of the body, but that's primarily how it's divided. And so, you know, in hearing that there's the invitation to know like anything, if, if you don't feel like you received a good education and it's something that's meaningful to you and, or your lover lovers, do some research, yeah. know that there are people out there that can help you. <clears throat> it's, it's not a dead end because you didn't figure it all out before you left high school. Oh, Jesus Christ. And I think that that's where um, our younger generations really are teaching a lot to even our generation. Like, um, just the, the no fucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and can they do it in a safe way where, you know, you're protecting your body right. and the health and the well-being of it? The heart and the psyche, like there's so much of that that's already being resolved through the utter openness of not feeling guilty or shameful for exploring. Right. 
And, you know, the workshops, similarly to you going to the uh, college class, a lot of these workshops, you find an age range of like, I don't, again, I'm not great with age, but maybe late twenties to like mid seventies. Mm, yeah. Wow. And one of the workshops, there was somebody that was 79. Hell and yeah. I just thought how beautiful and, and thank you for being here and showing me that I don't have to give this up in 10 or 20 years. Right. Right. Like I can really enjoy myself, my body and my partner for the, until the end of time. Right. Yep. And yeah, intimacy does really look different, especially as our bodies change and mm-hmm. Yeah. Hernias evolve and <laughs> there's more assistance involved, you know. It's right? like, but hey, that could be fun too, right? Yeah. It's like that bed swing's not just for my legs, sweetheart. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, right. What's that tool over there for? Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's really this permission for each of us to explore what our heart's calling and and if shame and guilt are blocking, like find somebody to help you with that too. Yeah. And maybe working through um, pleasure is, is the channel. Um, because like we were talking about before we started is our focus for so long has been on the problem Mm -hmm. and on where we judge something as bad or negative that needs to be fixed. But where I want to take my practices, can we play? Can we find pleasure? Can we find our passions and our joys? And then when those blocks rear their head up because they always will, can we show up for them lovingly mm. without judgment, without criticism, without shame? And um, the more that the more that, that healing happens, the more embodied we really are. Because the other part is, is like we're, we've talked quite a few times around consent. Mm-hmm. Um, so far in my practice, when I ask someone, is it okay to move towards this part of your body? If I get an immediate yes, I'll say, take a breath. I want you to ask your body. Beautiful. Because we will say yes before we actually get full consent from our own self. Yep. Because we we want to make sure that the other person, we were pleasuring the other person. Yeah. Right? That, it's like that we don't want to go against you, it. Yep, totally. But I can trust somebody wow. intellectually yeah. and my nervous system can still be like, you know what? I need a minute. Mm-hmm. And that's actually been coming up within the own intimacy and sex relationship with my husband. Like if, cause the, again, the body says, or when the body says no, I've worked with women who, um, their vaginal opening will literally collapse. Okay. And so there's nothing that's going to penetrate. Yep. Sorry. And, and there can be, you can go to the doctor and they'll tell you to use lube and they'll tell you to do all these other things, right? Depending on the doctor, but gotcha. general statement. But one of the times, and this was like, I don't know, a couple of years ago, I asked her, I said, how many times did you say yes when you wanted to say no? And it was just this huge floodgate of realization Mm -hmm. that she was, one, finally at a place where she could look at it and cope appropriately. Two, in a relationship where her partner deeply loved and respected her. So for her to say no, for mm-hmm. her body to say no, it wasn't going to it wasn't going to threaten the survivability and the success of the relationship. Right. And within 2 weeks after her having that awareness and doing some practices that we talked about, she messaged me and she said it went away. It's completely gone. And so if I don't listen to my body's true formal consent, mm-hmm. it'll start to speak for me. 
And so there have been occasions with my husband where I want to have sex. I feel intellectually aroused, turned on, and yet my pussy is like, nope. Sorry. Not happening. (laughs) And so then it speaks to the facts that women's bodies on average, average, Mm -hmm. here's that normal thing again, uh right? Take 20 minutes to reach the same level of arousal that typically takes a man five to seven minutes. Actually, three to five minutes, I I'd think it is. three to five. Yeah, I can feel that. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. actually a graph um, that shows, and it's quite fascinating, mm-hmm. right? And there's enough jokes and memes out there that's like, the guy's like, I'm done. Did you finish? And she's like, did we start? Right. You know? <laughs> so when we get older... I think there's a couple things that happen. We are so fed up with how many times that that's happened that we start to become bitter, resentful. And so we stop having sex. Mm. And then there's the sexless marriage. Right, yeah. Or we become resentful and critical and we start to blame our partners. So then they stop having sex. Or we listen. And we either listen deep enough that we respond lovingly for ourselves and our partner comes along partners anytime i say partner just assume i'm not saying one person there's an optional s at the back there if you want it oh what this is there's an optional s at the end of partners if yes, you want it there always yeah, there totally. um but are we willing to listen to ourselves and honor ourselves regardless of what our partner does or doesn't do right and that's a lot of my area of work wow is being with people Helping people who are in partnerships where they are deeply compromising what they truly desire in fear of losing hmm. that partner. That's a big fear. The fear of loss, the fear of abandonment, the fear mm-hmm. of being alone. Like, being too much, being not enough. Right. Yeah. Wow. And what's really fascinating, I've been there's this one person in particular that I've had a chat with, and I've invited them to be open with their spouse. Mm-hmm about said desires. And I said, what if you were surprised and found out that they were also really into that thing? And you know, this is somebody that's been married over 20 years and is just like not not willing to do it. And I right. said, well then you need to understand that this is your choice and you don't get to be resentful. Wow, wow. Like you're choosing this, you're choosing to let go of this thing to preserve this other thing. Can you do that? Are you willing? Mm. And you know, for some people, they're not, and they want to hang on to it. And it's like that story you're talking about of like dragging with you this whole past and which is really our guilt and shame. Yep. Definitely. And, um, you know, it's, it's exciting to consider what would I be without all of that? Hmm. How would I feel? What would I do? Right. Yeah, what is this holding me back from? This mm-hmm. thing that I just carry around with me just because. Yeah. Mm. So finding that, you know, that light, that joy. And I know from experience with depression particularly, sometimes it feels so far away. Yeah. So in that space for me and, and for the people that I work with, it's pick up a journal and remember a time when. What were you doing in your life at that point? What was working for you? Mm. And, and try it again, right? So if it was yoga, go back to yoga. If right. it was journaling, if it was singing, if it was dancing, if it was running, if it was fucking, if it was painting, right? Whatever it was, mm-hmm. go back to that and allow it to become the thing that reignites that fire within you and see what it illuminates. Mm. Um, 
But, I know uh, it's hard sometimes. It is, especially the revisiting, because <clears throat> we've already written that off. Like, I'm not that. I'm not going to be good at that. I'm not, well, you've got different information. You've got different life experiences now. You've got different lived experiences, right? Like, get yeah. out there and try this shit again. Different people surrounding and supporting you. Right? There's no, like, yeah. I. That's one that I struggle with a lot with myself. And so I'm very... I'm maybe a little overtly uh, preachy about that with other people, but mm-hmm. like just you know, and then some of that comes from my restaurant work. You know, it's like I, I would move into restaurants that have been established for years and decades, whatever, and like, hey, well, let's try this. Well, we tried that already. Okay, yeah, it's like, hey, I get it. You tried this already. It's probably been what five years since you tried this one thing. You had different staff. You weren't engaged. You didn't have the budget. You didn't have whatever it is. Yeah. Hey, here we go. Five years later, let's try it again. Because now we have all this different information, experience, and all the blah, blah, blah. Maybe yeah. it'll fucking work, right? Don't poo-poo it just away, you know, just because, right? Yeah. But I, I appreciate that, that, you know, like we're, we're hopefully understanding that a little bit better, you know. Mm-hmm. But providing the, the framework for that information to be found is, I'm so grateful that you're doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, like the work that you're doing. Uh, for yourself and for others, you know, because we got to do our work on ourselves. But through that, we find those deeper ways we can hold space for people. Like, yes. You know, that's those shamanic deaths, right? Mm-hmm. So, so where can uh, where can people, you know, check you out? I know we're gonna leave some notes in the show notes. So if you don't catch it now, we'll we'll have it in the links. But yeah, so my private practice page is mostly active on Instagram. My website is. Deathly needing of an update. Um, <laughs> very old. There's still a lot of valid information on there. Um, but Instagram is usually the easiest way to kind of see more about me, um, my beliefs, what I what I work, the, the different modalities that I work in. Um, so that's Sensuous Revival. Mm-hmm. Um, our retreat site is Wild Nature Retreat. You can always stay tuned for some, hopefully soon in the next quarter, some workshops that'll be popping up around this. I'm in the midst of trying to put together a small team to help support me in doing that. Hmm. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty easily found online. And if you feel a spark of interest and you have questions, you can always shoot me an email. It's also sensuousrevival at Gmail. And then we have wildnaturetreat at Gmail. Perfect. I don't believe in paying for website emails. I think it's a, sh- a scam. Yeah. It's free Gmail. Go at it. Yeah. All good. It's easy to keep it organized. Hell yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm currently, um, I think the last podcast I'd said I was taking practice clients. Mm-hmm. I'm doing that currently, but I'm, I'm coming up with a way to vet people a little bit differently. So as Probably of right now, important. it's mostly uh, word of mouth referrals. Okay. But um, I am in the process of putting a questionnaire together, and that will help me kind of make a decision moving forward. My desire as of right now is actually to just continue to lead workshops where I actually teach people how to do this work on themselves and each other. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, because that feels the most profound. No, that's not a right statement. That feels the most accessible for me right now. Mm, There you go. As I work through my own conditioning yep totally yeah. yeah well it's good to know you know and it's it's i think that's a beautiful reminder is that there's steps yeah right? you don't have to always just go straight to the thing there might be stages to get to the thing right and especially if there's that cultural conditioning or your own kind of th- shit that you've gone through in life 
take some time to, to wear that stuff, you know, to, to understand where it's at. Yeah. Come yeah. and chat in our telegram group. That's a really beautiful place. If you're looking to be in a place where you can talk about these subjects, that's not going to be filtered or mm. what's the other word? There's another word. Mm. Basically. Oh, censored. Censored. Yep. Thank you. I was like, there's a better word. Uh, so completely uncensored space. It's all inclusive. Okay. Um, and so I share tips and tricks. I do fun little prompts for people to journal on and question on. And then I also do share in that space, like what workshops might be coming up or events. I also just started a page called, uh, PNW Tantric, PNW Tantric Touch Events. And it's a, um, excuse me, it's a space where anybody who's holding any events that are relative to this type of work Mm. can post and share. Okay. Um, so it's not a chat per se, but it's a place where, um, because our traditional platforms of Facebook, Instagram, and things like that, they get filtered. If you use the I word sex at all, totally. it's censored and taken down or yep. nobody gets to see it. And so a lot of these ve- events go unseen, unheard. And I know there's actually quite a bit on Eventbrite. I don't, mm-hmm. I've never searched, um, as of yet, okay. but I have seen a lot of the, the local events, they're ticketed through Eventbrite. Beautiful. So. So there's ways to figure it out. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, thank you, Awa, so much for all that you're doing, for this beautiful conversation. And uh, look forward to, I got notes to have another conversation in the future. So look forward to having you back. Yes. Thanks for having me. It's always fun. Chat soon. Okay. Thank you so much for spending time with Awa and I. Uh, please check out the show notes for ways to get in touch with Awa and uh, learn more of what she's doing or maybe book a session with her. Also ways that you can support the show. We'll base in some love. We'll see you next time.